0: United Church of Christ presents Hold On to the Promise. The reflection by the Reverend Jean Randall Bodman presented on Sunday, July 16, 2023. Holy mystery, you who spoke in parables and called to us from beyond the veil of sight at every thin place, holy wisdom, make the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts a doorway to your presence. Amen. Every time I hear today's gospel story about the sower and the seed and the good earth, the same sentence pops into my mind. You have good dirt. (laughs) It was spoken with respect and admiration. It happened years ago when David and I, were my husband David was serving a country church in McGackiesville, Virginia. And we lived in the parsonage on what passed for a busy road in that town of 4,000 people. So when we discovered that the annual fire company parade was going to pass right in front of our house, we decided to invite the congregation over for an ice cream social, so that we would have something to do while fire companies from all the surrounding counties drove past. I had slipped inside to get some more serving spoons from the kitchen, and I looked out the window and I noticed that one of our guests, Blanche, was in the backyard, and she was walking slowly around our large vegetable garden, staring intently at it. Then she suddenly squatted down and began scooping up the earth, handfuls of soil and letting them run through her fingers. She stayed down there for what seemed like an awfully long time, and I was beginning to be worried about her. So I walked across our deep backyard, but before I could get to her, she looked up and announced delightedly Oh, you have good dirt. That was not a sentence I had ever heard before, nor is it one I would have thought of as a compliment. But she meant it as one, and it was true. We did have good dirt. That was nothing to do with us. We had only lived in the parsonage for a few months. It had been empty for several years before that, and though there was a garden plot back there, it was completely weeded over. So when David and I moved in, we thought, well, maybe we'll do that, but maybe not. What we didn't know was that the previous occupants had been gardening there for years. So before it stood empty, it had been tended for a long time. They had added compost every spring and turned it into the soil, they turned the garden over in the fall. So we put aside the idea of tackling it because it was really weedy and we were not gardeners. But our minds were made up for us when we woke up at about 5.30 one morning because one of the farmers in the church was plowing it up for us. So that made the choice, we were going to have a garden. Later in that same week, somebody else from the church came and rototilled it so that it was plowed first and then rototilled to make the earth soft and workable. And then another parishioner came to supervise our planting because we were suspiciously urban and northern. We might not know how to do. So we were thinking, okay, we'll have some tomatoes and maybe some peppers. But we ended up with tomatoes and peppers and corn and beans and broccoli and zucchini and summer squash and watermelon, the local basics for a beginner's garden. (laughs) Because really, with dirt that good, that well-prepared, it would have been a moral wrong to let it go to waste. Listen, Jesus said, a sower went out to sow. I'm not sure if this sower was just careless flinging good seed every which way without paying any attention to the land where it fell, or if he was just generous and exuberant, flinging seeds with joy and abandon. But one thing seems clear. That sower was working with different kinds of dirt, and not all of it was good. So not all of the seeds had the same outcome, as the text is at pains to tell us. The seed that fell, that some seed fell and simply sat on the surface, on soil that had become hardened by being repeatedly walked on. It sat there and waited to become food for the birds. And some fell on rocky soil where it could not take root. And some fell among well-established weeds and never really stood a chance. It was only the seed that fell on clear, good dirt. Soil that had been prepared and turned over and loosened until it was fine. Soil that had been replenished with fertilizer and decaying leaves that had been dug into the earth. It was there that the seeds could thrive. All the sower needed to do was to find the good dirt. It's a down home kind of story. The good news of God and how it takes hold is compared to a farmer sowing seeds. And if you travel to Galilee, I am told, and the pictures tell the story, that you can still see those different kinds of earth. Some of it is rocky. Some of it is weedy. And there is also lush abundance in that place, right in the area where Jesus taught. It's a story that people could look around and see illustrated right in front of them. If it hadn't come out of Jesus's mouth and been sanctified in our texts for 2,000 years and included in all three of the synoptic gospels, it might sound like, well, a bit of a cliche. Teaching as planting seeds, it's not a really exotic kind of story to tell. To make matters worse, for those of us who take comfort in sophistication and find that to be um, uplifting, or that we need to be challenged in order for something to be worthwhile. In the text, Jesus goes right on and spells out the meaning. He doesn't leave it opaque, as he so often does with parables. He often says something cryptic like, "But the one who has ears to hear, hear. Well, he says that in this text, but then he goes on to give an explanation. It may be that the explanation we have here for this story was added later by someone in Matthew's community. That was a community that was facing inner strife and outer persecutions, a community that was trying to figure out why the good news of God's realm of justice, mercy, and love was not taking hold in the world. And if I pause and think about it very long, it reminds me of the progressive church in 2023, looking around the world and wondering, why is the message of justice, mercy, and love not taking hold? Why are, why is, how and why is it getting choked out or not taking root? What's gone wrong? It may be that that early community remembered this odd little story Jesus had told and thought, well, that explains it. The seeds are good. It's the soil that needs work. The soil is bad. Most often, I've heard this story read in a moralizing way, as if it were scolding us each to look at ourselves and take ourselves in hand and be good dirt. Tend to the soil of your soul so that you will be receptive to God's word. Remove the rocks of bad practice that keep you from hearing good news, that make it impossible for God's, the love, God's love that you so joyfully accept to take deep root in you. Be wary of wealth and too much attachment to belongings and prestige. Those will act like thorny weeds and come right up and choke the life of the spirit out of you. Don't become like a path that too many feet have trod, packed down hard. Remember not to live too fast. Pause and loosen the soil of spirit so that when the words of life land, they don't get blown away from your surface. It's not a bad way of looking at the text, just not exactly inspiring. It is, in fact, a little anxiety-producing if you are someone like me who tends toward a little scrupulosity and hypervigilance. As Reverend Debbie Thomas put it, reading the text in this way could leave a person feeling judged and always just a little bit inadequate, wondering how to make your own soul less hard and less rocky, less thorny, designing all sorts of self-improvement projects to fix what's wrong with you. I'll add more prayer and meditation and less time on social media more justice work less cynicism more bible study less binge watching empty tv shows it's a reading of the parable as an indictment of your relationship with god a god who just can't seem to find an an appropriately hospitable environment in your soul in your messed up heart it's a scolding really telling you to be better There's nothing wrong with a little humble self-assessment. But as Reverend Thomas points out, this is one of the few parables that is actually named in the text. We have a lot of names for parables, but those are things that came later. This is one of the few that is named right in the text. And Jesus doesn't say, hear then the story about the four kinds of terrain. He says, Hear the parable of the sower. It's a story about those who send out God's word of love. It's a story about God and the nature and character of God, about God's realm and God's generosity. It's a story about how Jesus speaks God's word into the world and about us, the body of Christ, and how we are going to decide to speak God's word of love into the world. A sower goes out to sow, and as he goes, seeds fall everywhere. Not just on good, fertile soil, but everywhere. And the sower does not seem to mind at all. He just keeps flinging with abandon, and the seed falls on some rich soil, and it bears 30, 60, 100-fold, an abundant harvest. This is in such sharp contrast to the way our Christian culture often thinks about what to do with the good news that we have received. It's such a contrast with our tendency towards stinginess and control. It feels to me like the church, all across the spectrum of what church means, has been infected by the culture's underlying, underlying assumption of scarcity and competition and zero-sum games. And we respond in a couple of different ways. In some branches of Christianity, this leads to an emphasis on controlling the boundaries of who is out and who is in. It leads to a dependence on rigidity and creedal requirements. You must agree to certain things or you can't come in the door. The word is not for you. When combined with autocratic politics and American exceptionalism, it can lead straight to the danger the dangerous heresy of Christian nationalism. But even in the more inclusive and expansive end of the Christian spectrum, where we experience and proclaim a more expansive and inclusive understanding of God's grace, there is a temptation to limit where we think the seeds of God's love can land and where we imagine they could take root. Who we think we are called to speak to, and what words of hope and love we are asked to share. We also tend to limit where we think we can see God's love shining, where we might receive God's word. Reverend Debbie Thomas puts it this way about herself. She wrote, as I imagine this profligate sower walking around and through the varied terrains of our lives, I can't help but wonder about my own contrasting stinginess. The truth is, I don't tend to believe that there's enough good news to go around. I don't begin with the generous assumption that every kind of soil can benefit from the seed. And I wonder about that for myself as I look at people across the religious and political spectrum. Do, do I have hope for everyone? Do I believe that it's up to me to decide? She goes on, I don't have confidence that God's word will go out from God's mouth and accomplish what God proposes for it, no matter where it lands. I don't trust in God's endless ability to soften hard ground, clear away rocks, and cut through the most stubborn of thorns to make way for a harvest. I don't care about the birds as much as God does. And I wonder about myself and about us in the progressive church. Where do we cut off? Where's the limit of who deserves to hear the good news that we have experienced of God's unending love? In short, Reverend Thomas continues, I forget that all the terrain, all the terrain, is finally God's. It's under God's provision and sustained by God's love. Who am I to tell God, the creator of the earth, and all that is in it, what good soil looks like? Who am I to decide who is worthy and who is not of the sower's generosity? Who am I to hoard what I have been so freely and lavishly given? Who am I to look at God's profligate blessing and call it waste? If only our failures as the church were the opposite of what they have been, in relation to this parable. How I wish that the church, the church across all the ages, across all cultures and denominations and circumstances, were known for its absurd generosity. If I put That's Reverend Thomas's words. My words are, if, I, if we look at the news and look at the way Christianity is portrayed in the news, we are anything but generous in our acceptance of other people. We are here, perhaps, in the United Church of Christ, but how broadly do we extend that? How welcome does everyone feel in our embrace? How I wish we were famous for being like the sower, going out in joy, scattering seed before and behind us, and the widest arcs our arms can make. How I wish the world could laugh at our lavishness instead of weeping in the wake of our stinginess. How I wish the people in our lives could see a quiet, gentle confidence. Confidence in us when we tend to the hard, rocky, thorny places in our communities, instead of finding us abrasive, judgmental, exacting, and insular. This is the point that is so hard to speak judgment into the world that is also an invitation to deeper love, to go after people who are trapped in judgment and harshness and turning it towards us, and stand still and face them without hating back. It is such a hard call, but is the call of joy and love in the world. How I wish seeds of love, mercy, justice, humility, honor, and truthfulness. Would fall through our fingers in such appalling quantities that even the birds, the rocks, the thorns, and the shallow, sun scorched corners of the world would burst into colorful, riotous, joyous life. It seems to me especially important to hold on to this vision of exuberant abundance right now in the life of the church and in the life of our country living as we are in times such as these, when people across the United States, and in fact, across the global north, seem to be leaving and abandoning church in greater and greater numbers. Right now, it is especially important for us to be taking the mercy and the joy and the presence of the holy and flinging seeds of love with abandon, because the voices of judgment are loud and domineering and we don't want them to be the only voices that are in the public square using the name Jesus. Right now, the challenge and the call is not to become overly suspicious or closed in on ourselves, or anxious about ourselves and our own institutional survival. Even as denominations are shrinking, we must hold on to the ancient promise of Isaiah and the homely story of Jesus reassuring us that God's word will be in the world abundantly. It may not look the same. The structures and institutions may change and shift and morph, but God's word will not abandon the world. We are called to be part of both spreading the word of love with abandon and also looking for it in unexpected places, places that don't look like good soil to us, places inside and outside our institutions, from behind a hijab, read from the Torah, in the justice movements of people who identify as spiritual but not religious. All of those places can be places where the word of God comes to us. It can come to us from our ancient texts and our ancient prayer traditions, and it can come to us from the still-speaking God, who is still with us and still shaping us, No matter what shape the future holds, God's word is with us, and we have the joyful task of spreading God's love. Amen.